0: MindWise.
1: Hello and welcome to Mindwise Podcasts. This is Iri and together with Fenya we will be sitting down with Dr. Ansel Fürmeyer, who is a researcher and an assistant professor at our department. So without further ado, let's proceed to the interview. we would first like to start with some background information. Uh, Why did you come here? Uh, What was your intention? Mm -hmm. Um, Would you tell us a bit more about yourself?
0: Yes, thank you very much for (laughs) interviewing me. Um, I'm Anselm Führmeier. I'm I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and I'm working as an assistant professor here at the Department of Clinical and Developmental Neuropsychology. Um, I'm originally from Germany, from the very Mm -hmm. south of Germany, very close to the border to Austria, that's where I'm from, and then I studied psychology in at the University of Regensburg, that's in the south east of Germany, and then after my studies, I went, then came to Groningen to work on a PhD project here on adults with ADHD, so um, adults having attention impairments and how to assess and how to treat them, so this was my topic, and several clinical studies, and also in Regensburg, I was also working on this topic but there was more emphasis on biological psychology and I was more working on a biological basis and then I wanted to work more clinically and also was looking for um, a department or a group who is very connected Mm. to several clinical centers, psychiatries and um, and luckily Oliver Tucher, the head of our department, is very Mm. well connected and very active in this field so I was very happy that I could come to Groningen and to do a PhD project under his supervision on the topic of ADHD.
1: What's the main difference that you see working in Germany and working in here?
0: Uh, Yeah, there are differences. As a student I I didn't work in in Germany but I was a student obviously so that was the main difference and as a a master thesis I um, worked um, with animal models so I worked with rats and had some cognitive tests for them and then um, concluded on the biological basis of ADHD, but then also after my um, PhD here in Groningen, I was going back to Germany for half a year again to Regensburg before I started my new job here, and and um I also there continued working on this field. So all the clinics, all the psychiatrists working together with us, which allows me to work more with patients, to work more in the applied field.
1: So do you think that that suits you more? I guess working with actual people. Right? Yes,
0: it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in all my research and articles, I'd like to emphasize really the conclusion or the the implications for real-life functioning. I don't want to stick on an experimental level. I I, I like this methodological point of view, the way of thinking, the methodological rigor. But in my research, my goal is to apply it to the Mm. external world. Mm. So this is very important to me. That I, that I work on a clinical condition and to do, do patients-based
1: research. And you also work with traffic psychology? Mm-hmm. So how did you move into that from ADHD? Mm-hmm.
0: So what I'm doing now, um, uh, first of all, I have two lines of research. My ADHD line I still follow. And then I'd like to do clinical studies in the field of traffic psychology. For example, we have research questions uh, whether older people and older people with cognitive impairments, mm-hmm. for example, or people with dementia, Alzheimer's dementia or Parkinson's or different um, kinds of dementia, whether they are still able to drive a car safely. And to explore this research question we like to apply our methods for example if we do a clinical interview with them, can we then conclude whether this person can drive a car safely or not. But then we also know that we need many cognitive abilities to drive a car. So we could also do a neuropsychological assessment with them and assess attention, planning, um, inhibition, memory, and see whether these cognitive tests tell us something whether this person can drive a car safely. Or finally, we can also use different methods. We can also use a driving simulator. What is an experimental method and see whether the performance, the behavior in a driving simulator, again, tells us something whether this person can drive a car safely. And this exactly combines my expertise and my interest and one, one very recent study we had, and we assessed many people with Alzheimer's disease and, and, we, and we had a neuropsychological assessment, we had driving simulators, we had other kinds of methods and then we, both, we all also did not test on the road to test whether this person was able to drive a car or not and then we looked whether our measures in the laboratory can predict the behavior on the road and this worked out very well.
1: So what would you say are the implications of ADHD on driving? Would you say the inattention is the problem? Or do they drive more recklessly? Or what were some of the findings that you...
0: Yes, used? yeah, this... But there's not so much research, clinical studies in traffic psychology. This was you know, only developed recently. And um, with regard to ADHD, we also did studies in which we look into literature and collected all information we have to see how and, um, and if... Um, people with ADHD show any different or adverse driving and and we also applied again several methods we looked in self-reports, we asked and we looked in studies who asked patients, who asked parents of patients, and we did um, um, cognitive tests with them, we looked in literature who used cognitive tests and correlated with driving performance and we also looked in studies who used driving simulators and looked how people with ADHD behaved in driving simulator and with all these studies what we collected and what we wrote together we concluded that indeed people with ADHD show different driving on the roads also on self-reports they show um, uh, more speeding for example more traffic violations more risky driving also a bit more reckless driving we also um, showed um, in, in studies on cognitive tests that the attention performance was correlated with driving performance, mm. so the worse the attention was, also the the worse, um, the on-road driving performance was. And um, in the driving simulator, for example, how well can you keep the car in the middle? How much do you deviate from 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 the middle? And 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 also the people with ADHD showed them more traffic violations, more adverse driving, and different driving. So yes, there are many many variables and measures, very show differences. The problem is, it's very, very hard to conclude on an individual basis that this person shows dangers or or, or unsafe driving. On a group level, you can likely do it. If you have 100 people with ADHD and 100 people without ADHD, it's likely on a group level there's a difference. Mm -hmm. But on an individual basis, you cannot conclude. So this is the problem on the individual basis, and this is our aim as a clinical psychologist, you want to assess somebody and want to conclude about the on-road driving performance, and this is unfortunately not yet possible.
1: And also, ADHD is, I guess, one of the most common uh, attention disorders that Mm -hmm. happens among children, among adolescents. And I guess some people might say that it may be overdiagnosed in mm-hmm. some clinics. What, what are your views regarding this?
0: I think um, without having the, the precise figures in in, in head, it, it is overdiagnosed. And the problem is that ADHD is a summary of symptoms, what we all know. So it's not a categorical um, disorder, which is a new different um, different category but more dimensional disorder meaning there traits, behavior, what we all know being distracted, being tired, being disorganized being forgetful, being impulsive which means bursting out things can't wait for your turn, um, doing things what you regret easily, spending money and half an hour later thinking ah well was not so clever idea um, getting into fights so all these behavior we all know these behavior, we all experience this. But if all these symptoms are on a dimension in which it gets very, very bad and leads to impairments, then we define it as a as ADHD, as a disorder. And this is a very difficult decision as a clinician to do. When is this threshold reached that you can say now it's so severe that now it's a disorder? And um this is very difficult, and this is very subjective. And the clinical decision is then based on the, on the point that the clinician must ensure or must ascertain that these symptoms lead to impairment. If these symptoms are fulfilled, okay, this is the first part, but then you need to, conclu- uh, need to um, ascertain that these symptoms lead to impairment. For example, this person has no friends or can't maintain a partnership and can't finish an education or permanently runs out of money. Or, or it takes drugs because of impulse control disorder and um, this is a very very difficult decision clinically very difficult and there is no biomarker, there is no brain scan, there is no blood test what tells us ADHD, not ADHD so it's always based on a clinical interview between the clinician and, and the patient and this, in this clinical interview you depend on the cooperation of the patient Of course, you try to seek also for supporting information from parents, from partners, from employees. But in childhood, you usually ask teachers and parents. In adulthood, it's more difficult. Parents might not be available, living far away. Teachers are ways too old. The teacher reports they can't find anymore. So it's very, very difficult to to gather objective information from other people than the patient. And based on this information, we have to come to a conclusion. And this, of course, I guess is the reason that it might be misdiagnosed or maybe even overdiagnosed to many people, but it's very difficult to tr- draw the very objective objective information. And and we think it's a big problem that, that some people might also misuse it. And also, this is one of our line of research um, that we do studies on malingering, which mm-hmm. means the intentional Production of symptoms, mm-hmm. and because we think this, if the people diagnosed with HD who don't have HD, this has huge disadvantages. This causes costs for society, this burdens our health system, this also then leads to public um, 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 stigmatization. Because if you see people who have, don't have HD but who have a diagnosed HD, you may lose the trust. You you don't. You may lose your 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 um, opinions about ADHD, which might diagnose people actually having problems. And I saw many hundred patients who are really struggling, who have really have problems. But if a certain part is misusing this or or the overdiagnosis, this leads to a big problem. So therefore, we are also doing research in this field mm-hmm. to 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 um improve the diagnostic process, also differentiating maybe in people who actually have ADHD and people who might have, have attention problems in a normal range who might exaggerate or might even feign the mm-hmm. symptoms.
1: Yeah, for those who might not be quite familiar with the malingering or faking of ADHD, um, what do you think might be some incentives that people might fake the symptoms of ADHD? Do you mm-hmm. think it's common in students or even common in adults?
0: Um, Yes, there there are definitely incentives. That's also part of the definition of malingering. So malingering means intentional production of symptoms or exaggeration of symptoms driven by an external incentive. It must be intentionally driven by an external incentive. What could this be? For example, for ADHD, an incentive might be um, prescription of stimulant drugs because stimulants um, such as methylphenidate, what you may use as, as Ritalin, is often prescribed um, um, for patients with, with ADHD and this is chemically very similar to cocaine. So it's a stimulant drug and people might be motivated, might be interested in getting these drugs for free when, when being described um, for ADHD. This might be an incentive um, and then use it for recreational purposes or for getting high or even sell it on a black market. So this is one incentive and we will leave it in particular for students this could be interesting well um, of course students need to concentrate need to study might want to um, improve their, their performance or the ability to concentrate when taking drugs and there also um, universities offering special accommodation for students with ADHD I think it's less pronounced in the Netherlands but in particular in the US and in Canada there's a market for this that students can get special accommodations for example um, um extensions for deadlines and assignments or getting a quiet room and doing um, exams or um, even getting special bursaries or a free laptop so there's, there's certain incentives in particular for students feigning ADHD and um, so I think in particular among this group there is a certain percentage who might exaggerate or feign it and people being older than a student age it gets less I believe because at a certain point, they found their spot in lives, In they have achieved or not achieved in education, but they find a job. So I think the incentive gets less if they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, might not, not drop to zero, but I think in particular the target group is here the younger population between 18 and mid-20, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's also very... This is a very difficult part of ADHD, because you, on the one hand, you need to give them some kind of Support to treat their symptoms, but then again if you give them Too much of an incentive to you know for normal people to Mm feel these symptoms like it would be counterproductive against ADHD, so Maybe what what do you think are some approaches to people suffering from ADHD that would actually Kind of counterbalance these effects like what would be the most ideal way of addressing people with? I think
0: um, the most the best way is to offer full support mm-hmm. but to allocate the support only to the people needing it and we've seen many many patients and they're really suffering from various things and um, they can't finish an education they can't finish school they might have problems finding friends having partnerships can't deal with money very disorganized miss deadlines get into trouble easily then that's very likely that they also um, develop comorbid disorders Depression, anxiety, also personality disorders. So they have really struggle with this, and they need full support. The problem is more that we need to f- identify people needing a support and giving it to them. And um, doing research in this direction is, of course, we have to be very careful because we do not accuse people of feigning. We only want to support people having ADHD by improving the diagnostic process. And if we develop measures how to detect it, I think that's the best strategy that we have. We don't waste our resources, but we give our resources to people are really needing it. And if we develop these measures doing this, we need to be very careful, because, as you know from statistics, we never do 100% of our decisions correct. Most, hopefully, we do, if we find a good measure of, of doing this. But there might be patients with ADHD, of which we say this is not ADHD, and there might be people feigning ADHD to whom we say this might be ADHD. Mm-hmm. And both kinds of mistakes has negative consequences, which you want to avoid. We do not want to accuse somebody with real ADHD of feigning ADHD. So we reject any support to this person. We even accuse him of feigning it, even though these people really have it. This is very bad for the individual. They might, get, might be even more stigmatized, might be feel rejected might not be feeling supported in life, but if you're too lenient and do, do, do it over-inclusive and includes people in the ADHD patient groups actually feigning it, the treatment, we have only limited resources of treatment, which needs to be shared between all people, so we can't support people having ADHD enough because we also waste our resources to people feigning it, that their treatment might, might not work with them because they're not cooperative, they have no interest in getting real psychotherapy, for example. So both mistakes we should avoid. And I think research should go in this direction, improving the diagnostic process to find really measures which identifies people having ADHD, identify people having impairments, and then based on the impairments on the individual level, conclude on the, on the right form of treatment for these people
1: would you say that symptoms of ADHD are actually easier to feign than other disorders or do you think our clinicians they're just so willing to help their patients that you know they might be a little too slack with the diagnosis?
0: I think it can be very easily feigned because we all know how it is to be distracted, we all know how it is to be impulsive and the symptoms of ADHD is what everybody can imagine it's only a different quantity, and then leading to impairments in real life. If you imagine um, um, some other disorders in psychiatry, we have an understanding, but do you know exactly how it is to have an anxiety disorder? Do you know exactly how it is to have a psychotic disorder? You might have a rough understanding, but if you have to talk about it for an hour, how your daily life looks like, you, you might not know anymore exactly how much, how you experience any psychotic symptoms or or, um, or anxiety but with ADHD it's kinds of behavior you all know from yourself only probably from a different quantity. So I think it can be in this respect more easily faint and also a second reason um, nowadays with all information provided on the internet it's very easy to prepare yourself if you take 15 minutes to Google about symptoms of ADHD you might get immediately to these M criteria, of ADHD, you learn them by heart and you actually know what kind of symptoms you have to report to the to the psychiatrist or to the psychologist. And I also think for other psychiatric disorders, there might be less incentives to feign an anxiety disorder, a psychotic disorder. I think there's not really a market for this. There's less stigmatization for ADHD. You get less stigmatized when having a having label ADHD. People might not want to have might 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 not want to disclose a label anxiety disorder, depression, schizophrenia, but people are less concerned with disclosing at a diagnostic label adhD which makes it also more interesting to fame.
1: Yeah, that's also an interesting point because usually when something is a disorder, people tend to uh, they don't want to be associated with mm-hmm. it, but the fact that you know people don't really mind having the diagnosis of yeah. ADHD. Like, do you, th- do you think this is also because people don't consider it as an actual disorder or people don't take it seriously enough?
0: That's a good point, yeah. I think this could contribute to this. You also did research on the public attitudes towards mental illness and we found out that um, the label ADHD is far less stigmatized than, for example, other disorders such as mental disorders such as depression. And yeah, what is the reason for this? This is difficult to say. I think one reason is, is nowadays ADHD is all over the media. And it's a developmental disorder beginning in childhood and then going through adolescence to adulthood. So many, many people know somebody with ADHD. So it's very dominant in classroom, in college, at workplace, in all domains of daily living. It's covered in the media. So everybody knows something about it, which makes makes it somehow part of society, which makes it rationalized, it makes it very normal in a, in a way. And then I think also reason is, same um, argument what I said before, that these behavioral characteristics is behavior what you know also from yourself.
1: What could be uh, the reasons why um, ADHD is now all over the media?
0: That I think that nowadays in society we have very much pressure to perform, to function, um, on children in early age, but also in college and later in adulthood, and um, what society expects expect from you to be successful at work and in your private life and to be, so then basically cognition and being attentive, um is very important to function in society, and if then if you do not function very well because you might be distracted, you can't follow so long in in, in, in doing mental work, then you might easily get a label of um distracted and inattentive, I might have attention disorder, I might have ADD or ADHD. And, and then with all the rather soft and vague diagnostic criteria, what sometimes um, increase the risk of overdiagnosis, then of course then the more and more people that get diagnosed with ADHD and this all then spread in the media and then emphasized may lead to the fact that it's very very much very dominant in the media nowadays.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if my work gets harder and I can't, um, can't fulfill my task mm-hmm. because the circumstances are so difficult. So, isn't it normal that I have symptoms like ADHD? <laughs>
0: um, yes, I think so. And this has something to do, I think, with all our cultural background, how we um, define society. And I think um, all in, in the psychiatric disorders are defined or based on the rationale that we expect from an individual to function in his environment, whatever this environment asks you to. And if this environment changes, we expect people to adapt. This is what we expect from human beings. And if people can't function in their environment, we call it a disorder. Mm -hmm. And this also can change. This is nothing written in stone. What we now think is totally normal might be in a different culture, maybe not normal, or might be totally... Um, and waste too much or too less or too, uh, um, uh, differently rated. So what we think is normal changes from cultural background and changes also from the generation. What, what was 100 years expected? From us might be different than what is expected now. For example, if you have certain symptoms, and these symptoms lead to the fact that you can't finish education, that you don't f- function in society in terms of um, um, organizing your own money, Meeting deadlines, doing your administration, paying your rents, cleaning your house, doing the shopping, if you can't complete finish this all, if you're permanently messy, you can't find your things, you can't do the shopping, you miss the, the appointment with the bank, you can't finish education, you have problems finding friends, all these things, and you suffer from this, you are personally suffering, and the society thinks, yes, this person has an advantage, then the society thinks this is a disorder what what we need to treat. And this of course, yeah, you can criticize this. That society now tells what is normal. Mm-hmm. If you wake up and society changes, then all our, our disorders change. And we can all throw our M away, but then we need to define it differently.
1: So I guess as a concluding note, um, what do you wish to find out in the future in
0: this field? Uh, what I wish to do is that I... Um, continue the research with my colleagues um, who are students with me, in Oliver Tucher and Lara Tucher, with whom I'm doing this, um, to improve the assessment of ADHD, to find um, very sensitive tests who help clinicians discriminating between people with ADHD, people who have not ADHD, and people who might want to exaggerate, who might feign ADHD, and if we have this, if we can improve diagnosis, of course, I'd like to find methods how to improve cognition. That's what I'm emphasized on the neuropsychological performance, the cognitive performance. How to improve cognition and how its improvement then also results in improvement in real life functioning. And real life functioning, I'm talking about all kinds of functioning, but also as a traffic psychologist, and this mobility aspect is very important for me. How they can be mobile, how they can drive a car safely or alternative means of transport.
1: Thank you very much for sitting down with us today.
0: You're welcome. This podcast was a production of MindWise for the Department of Psychology at the University of Groningen.